Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Well, hello, welcome, and thank you very much for tuning into this week's episode. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and very pleased to welcome Tom Carr, a good friend of ours, to the table. Tom and I will be discussing Tim Cockrell's recent sermon from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, through chapter 2, verse 3. So, Tom, thanks for taking time to join us today. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I've been looking forward to being with you, and let's just start here. Uh, Tim shared very early in his message this past week the concept that... I'm sure you've heard, I've heard, I know, but uh, people might say, I love Jesus, but I really don't want anything to do with the church. May have been hurt, may just not like the people or whatever the reason, but I know that it's possible we even hear that from some here at Grace every once in a while, but what are some ways that our listeners or you or I might seek to be tuned into these types of situations and, and how can we best encourage those who are experiencing these thoughts, these feelings? Well, I, I guess for me, the first thing I have to do, and I've I've caught myself thinking exactly that. I hope I haven't said it, but I probably have sometime. <laughs> but you know, I have to remind myself that we are a group of sinners. Uh, we don't want to say that, and we, and many times we arrogant and think that we are better than other people, and and uh, don't have problems that other people have, but the bottom line is we are a group of sinners, and we are all in some level of progressive sanctification. Uh, we are all in the process of becoming more and more like Christ, and we are all at different stages uh, of that process. And so there are things that we think should be a given within the Christian life, and it may be something that I've that I've uh, done well with, but uh, someone else is struggling with. And so I uh, have uh, be critical of them uh, when I have no right to be critical of them or, or no standing to be critical of them. And, and then they may do the same thing and something that I struggle with that they don't. Uh, and we say, well, Christians shouldn't act that way. And probably that's true. But uh, yet we are all sinners and we are struggling to become more and more like Christ. So a lot of it has to do with uh, making, recognizing that we all make mistakes. We are all, we are all at different places in our spiritual walk. Uh, was reading a, a chapter earlier this week on mercy, and uh, talked about forbearance, talked about forgiveness, uh, and really the 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 crux of it. If someone were to come with me in that in that situation uh, with that thought, uh, you know, first thing I need to do is. Remember what, uh, how Christ has forgiven me, and how Christ has uh, kept saved me, and uh, there is nothing that anybody's going to do on this planet to me that I haven't done worse to Christ, to Jesus Himself, and that's what Matthew 18 is about. Uh, reckon, remembering what uh, Jesus has done for us, and that that is greater than anything anybody could do against us. Uh, Ephesians 4.32 speaks of uh, uh, being kind one to another, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. Uh, and so that's a, that's a key thing as we uh, learn and as we have messes and we make, make mistakes, that uh, we are all growing and we are all uh, trying to become more and more like Christ and we're at different places and we need forgiveness and we need forbearance. 
in the past few weeks, and, and really throughout the past year, I know we've brushed up against the concept that Tim has mentioned from the platform, and that is we need to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves. And it really sounds like what you're saying. We need to be reminding ourselves of the great grace and mercy that God has shown towards us, and we need to be willing to share that with others. You know, the, the, the Another way of saying, getting into this conversation is the uh, old uh, adage, I know I've said it jokingly, uh, about business. Boy, my business would be a lot better if it just weren't for the people. And you know, church, same thing. Boy, the church yes. would be great yes. if it just weren't for the people. Well, the church is the people. Church is the people, right? And so, but, but preaching the gospel, reminding ourselves of the great grace that God has extended to everybody. And, and seeing people, seeing people grow gives glory to God, seeing people change and and become more like Christ gives glory to God. And that's what our chief purpose is on earth, according to the, uh, Westminster catechism. Well, and, and I, if you're listening, I just, uh, maybe cap this comment or this series of comments off with an idea that two elders uh, at Grace Baptist Church, uh, who, Shouldn't think that way. Sometimes we do, and it's very easy to, but uh, we all are, can be prone to that. But the fact is, hey, God wants us to love one another, and he calls us to love one another with the same love with which he's loved us. Yes. Let's go to, to another comment here in uh, verse 22, Tom. Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. There's two mentions of love there. And a person in my adult Bible fellowship here this past Sunday pointed out that Peter is referencing two distinct types of love here. He starts with brotherly love, and then he moves to what we call agape love or a different kind of love. What's Peter driving at here? Um, well, obviously the, the command is to love one another with a God-like love. Agape love is, is, a, is a love that is... Uh, seeks the benefit of the other. So much of what we talk about love in our society is really looking for something that benefits me. But when we talk about God's love, it's it's uh, something that benefits the object of your love. And so that's, that's a, a very significant difference and really can only be done through God's help. We can't, we can't handle, uh, we can't do that kind of love in our own strength. But uh, it's interesting that there, you know, as the New Testament was written in Greek, there's two different words for love very close together in, in the, the text. And so is there something that we can gain from that? And there probably is. Uh, it, the same thing happens in John chapter 21, where Jesus was talking to Peter. And he said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times he asked him, do you love me? But he used these two words in those three questions. And, uh, and so commentators for centuries have debated, was there, is there something of significance to Peter using the brotherly love once and the agape, God love, twice? And uh, some commentators think there is, some commentators think there isn't. Uh, whether in this passage in First Peter, whether it is or not, uh, we can debate for quite some time. I think the, the bigger question that we need to focus in this chapter is just simply the idea of sincere love, the, uh, the idea of earnest love, the idea of pure love. Uh, and we, we get a handle on those and what that means and, and how it works in our lives and how we put that into practice. Uh, we, we get a good grip, a good handle on that. I, I think that's a, a, a point that we can spend a lot of time uh, 
adjusting our lives and, and changing our lives to fill those those ideals. Uh, whether there's a, a difference in brotherly love and God love that makes a big distinction in this in this passage, I'm not sure. But uh, I do know that sincere love is a significant uh, goal to go after. Earnest love, uh, pure love, those are things that we can spend a lot of time perfecting in our lives. And let's go a little, if we can go a little deeper in love here, Mr. Carr. I've tried in my life, I've tried to differentiate between defining love as something that I feel and focusing on love as something that I do. It's not so much a feeling. And we hear people, you know, I'm prone to it. You're falling in love Mm -hmm. versus love as an action word. Can you think, give us some thoughts on that? Uh, Yeah, when you you think of love, it's really difficult to define it by saying what it is. We much quicker will go to defining it by what it does. Uh, how it changes us, how it affects us. We can talk about the warm fuzzies, uh, and those are fun and and wonderful. But when we think in terms of, again, God's love, this agape love, uh, what it, we're looking at is more of what it does and how it makes us act. Uh, the most One of the most famous verses in all of Scripture, John 3, 16, God so loved the world, what happened? He gave. Uh, and it's it's kind of... I want to be careful going too far with this analogy, but it's kind of like the wind. You know, what is the wind? You can't see it, but you can see what it does. Uh, and love is much the same way in that it, it moves us to action. Uh, and we can talk about you know, how it moves us to action and what actions we should do and what kind of thing. But just the, the most simple way to say it, I think, is it just makes us do something for someone else's good uh, not for our own good and for someone else's benefit. And that is uh, a key point to, to what God has in mind for love. In contrast to what the media or the entertainment industry or how they might paint the idea of love, um, talk to the one who's listening who just say, you know, whether it's in a marriage context, whether it's in a parenting context, perhaps it's in a child thinking about their parents, um, or a church member to church member, but I just don't feel love for that person. It's hard to love them. I don't feel it. What do I do about that? Well, I guess the 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 key to that one is just simply it's not about our feelings. Uh, it's about doing what God tells us to do. God tells us to love our enemies. There's no warm fuzzies when we think about the enemy. Uh, there's the people who have done us wrong or people who are fighting against us or spitefully used us. Spitefully, yeah. And any, anything, anything along that line, there's no, there, there's no warm feelings. Uh, there's no, uh, passion, uh, positive passion anyway, uh, towards those kinds of people. But yet God tells us to love our enemies. And so it's, it's not a, it's not a deal about feeling. It's, it's a deal about doing what God has told us to do and to look out for the good of of others just as god has done the same thing for us okay so <clears throat> sometimes the the doing uh, is followed by the feeling sounds like what you're saying uh often yeah the the, the well the doing will will lead to the feeling mm-hmm. uh you, you do what god says and then the feeling will may come later uh, i guess sometimes it, it doesn't have to but but uh again it's it's uh, a choice that we make it's a decision that we make 
that we're going to strive for the good of the other person and uh, whether the emotion is theirs or not. Great, great. Appreciate that. Well, um, this is something we've mentioned the past couple of weeks. Tim, Tim shared this a couple of weeks ago, and he, he talked about the perspective of the child of God as we receive God's uh, imperatives or God's commands to, as to what we should be doing. We need to hear those and respond to those in the context of what God has already done. And, and of course, it's, it's easy to miss sometimes how God has equipped his people to love. And that starts with his victory over sin, and perhaps the greatest sin being hate, the opposite of love, we might say. And, it can, of course, it continues with his giving the Holy Spirit. Uh, he, he says, I will send you a comforter. You don't want me to stick around, basically. It sounds like what Jesus was saying at one point. I'm going to send a comforter. You're going to be much better off. So, uh, of course, the Holy Spirit, we read, comes and dwells each believer. So let's talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit as it pertains to this concept of loving one another. How does the Holy Spirit work in the lives of God's people? Uh, well, his, his indwelling is, is huge, but it, it goes even before that in that he convicts of sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he shows us our need for salvation, uh, and then he's very involved in the salvation, salvation act. Uh, he regenerates, uh, uh, Titus 3.5 says, uh, he he baptizes in Romans chapter six. We read that uh, he seals uh, us, which is is it's a guarantee that that we are uh, that we are his, uh, and we find that in Second Corinthians one. Uh, these are all acts that he's doing at the point of salvation. Uh, then he indwells us, and as he indwells us, he guides us. Uh, he illumines uh, he illumines scripture for us. Uh, we, he keeps us from sin. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, uh, Galatians 5.16. So uh, he, and, and he, is, uh, he is, his being with us uh, confirms that, that we are his, the children of God. And, uh, and then also he helps us, again, to, to love one another uh, and to, to do those things that are difficult to do and can't be done in our own strength. But uh, through through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, we can do those things that God expects us to do, uh, to show others love when it's when nobody in society would would expect us to do that or would even ask us to do it. And I know Tom. For me, one of the biggest growth periods in my life was when I realized that I'm not on my own. I mean, I I actually have. Holy God living inside me. He has chosen to indwell me and give me the strength that I need to do everything He's called me to do. That's a for me. That was a, a not over, only overwhelming, but it was a, it was revolutionary to my understanding of His calling in my life. Whether it's you know in my marriage, at my place of business, or whatever. I not only am called to do certain things to be holy, as we see back earlier in chapter one, but I'm called to be holy, and by the way, I can do that. Now, I'm not going to be perfect in it because my sin's still going to get in the way, and mm-hmm. I, I, I have trouble putting that, that old man to death and putting off, but I'm still able, with God's help, to do what he calls me to do. Yes, and, and it's, he empowers us, uh, he, he teaches us, he guides us, uh, and, and as we walk with him, again, we, we're able to stay away from sin and do what, what God would want us to do. 
Well, going down into chapter 2, verse 2, uh, uh, Peter calls for the reader, his readers, to long for the pure spiritual milk. And, and in the context of chapter 1, this appears to be uh, calling them to long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God, both you know the living Word, Jesus, and the written Word, perhaps. But uh, let's face it, so many people, I've struggled with this sometimes, I'm guessing Tom Carr might have struggled with this, but pretty much every Christian, I'm sure, has struggled at some point by with not having that longing, that appetite for God's Word. Uh, I'm recalling here a time of uh, prayer request in our Adult Bible Fellowship where we have two in our, our group of 30 individuals or so who we're praying for for their appetite. We're praying that God would give them the appetite because they need nourishment. They need strength to fight some significant uh, uh, problems that are going on in their bodies. Is that something we can develop a, 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 a longing for God's word, even if we aren't feeling it? Uh, yeah, I think we have to. Uh, again, it's, I think of, uh, as, you, as you were talking, it came to mind, uh, David, uh, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the time that he spent uh, running while King Saul was chasing him and, and the downtime that is, and we see a lot of uh, his emotions in the first part of uh, the Psalms, but uh, we will have down times. We will have dark times in our Christian walk, and and in those times, it is it is so important that we are disciplined and stay with our with our spiritual disciplines and stay with our Bible reading, our prayer, to uh, to to walk with God even when we we don't feel like it and. Really, it's you know. There's a lot of times we, we come across the passage and we don't understand it, or we don't, uh, or we uh, just doesn't mean much to us in that particular time. But uh, uh, Hebrews four twelve, the the word of God is is living, uh, and it's it is uh, the Holy Spirit is working through the word to touch our lives, and we also we we you know that, I don't know how many times I've read a passage that I've read many, many times before, and then all of a sudden a word jumps out at me, a phrase jumps out at me in a way that's never done before, and, uh, and, it's, hel and it's helpful for that, for that time and that situation. Mm -hmm. And so it just there's, uh, there's a certain amount of just simple discipline that says we need to keep doing this even though it's, it's, I really don't want to. Uh, there's also the whole idea of uh, just practice, you practice and you practice and you get strong by practice uh, and you and it is helpful to you in, in that way that you just just keep working at it and and more and more things will show up as the, as they come I was uh, working on uh, preparing to teach the gospel of John and uh, you know the one guy I was listening to was was talking about you know, after you after you read John, 87 times, you know, just some amazing things are popping up and, <laughs> you, you know, you can read John through and, and get the basic idea and you can read John through again and read John through again. And, and it is, what, what's amazing is John works on such a, on many different levels and there's so, it's, it's so, uh, intricate at times but first reading, there's all sorts of meaning there, but you don't see that all the intricacy, the first reading. But you can get you can get plenty of meaning from it. Uh, but uh, as you study it more and more and more, then you 
uh, just get to the point where, wow, this, this is some, this is amazing stuff going on. Uh, Tim Mackey from Bible Project, mm-hmm. uh, renowned. He, he, I was listening to a video from him one time and he called the biblical authors literary ninjas. And, uh, <laughs> and the more, the more I'm involved in it and whatnot, the more I, he's right. It's just, there's so much stuff going on that, uh, just doesn't come out in the first reading, but, uh, it's there and it to be, uh, it, and to be to be blessed by and, and and to find it and be encouraged by it, the chiasms in the uh, Old Testament are just just amazing. And uh, okay, for those who are uninitiated, what's a chiasm? Okay, <laughs> you're, you're, as, you're as stepped as, in that hole. You as soon as I said it, I said okay. <laughs> a, a chiasm is based uh, the, the the Greek letter chi is looks like an X, and uh, so it's you you say uh, you, you have a it's much easier to show this on a visual, but you, you, your first your first uh, uh, statement is matched at the end of the state at the end of the passage by another statement, mm-hmm. uh, and and it just kind of it just kind of crosses, and uh, that's that's a terrible uh, incomplete. It's a literary illust- technique. It's literary technique. Yeah. Thank you. That's that, 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 that helps. <laughs> you don't have to understand right now. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, if if you're looking at a at a poem and the and the rhyme thing or the the thought process is a and then another section b and then the next line starts with the something that matches b and comes back to a mm-hmm. well you've got a crisscross there yeah. and that's that's the that's the chiasm that crisscross action one of the things I, I've, I've been blessed to travel with one of our missionaries down to South America or Central America, and uh, I was down there this past uh, fall, and we were we were working through the authority of the Scripture and how can we know that we have a reliable Scripture. And uh, next time we go down, we're going to be teaching the various forms of literature that comprises scripture you know poetry and the histories and the and uh, the narratives and so forth anyway there is so much i mean as you say it's just such a rich written by literary ninjas uh under the inspiration of the supreme ninja himself is that okay to say yeah yeah, that's fine with me it's fine with me but but just reading it as you say um We've been studying as humanity's been studying God's word for, uh, you know, depending on your underst- our understanding of you know when cre- creation started uh, from the beginning of creation, mm-hmm. and certainly the written word for over three thousand years, and people are were, were learning and learning, and uh, I haven't met anybody who's got it yet. Nope, not nope. at all. Not not completely, care. not yeah. completely. No. Okay, so. It, it's easy for me to look at examples in the scriptures of God's love manifested in a believer's life. You know, I'm thinking of, of Peter himself. I mean, you referenced mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. instance where Jesus said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Uh, David's another one. You've, you've mentioned David, another individual. Ruth is just, I mean, it just pours out of the story of Ruth there. I'm wondering if you'd be willing, Tom, you, you grew up here at Grace. You went away to grad school, and then you've been on the mission field for many years, uh, decades now. But you've come back, and uh, uh, this is kind of your home base, you and Paula. Would you be willing to share just an example from, from your lifelong experience in local churches throughout the world, really, of the expression of this type of love that we're talking about? Um, 
probably. I mean, I've I've just seen I've seen so many of them. I can't even catalog them. But 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 probably the one that has stuck so close to me, especially recently, and then it's really, I don't know. But the whole idea of adoption. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were adopted into God's family. Uh, John one twelve, uh, Romans eight fifteen, uh, Galatians uh, four seven eight. We're, we're adopted in the God's in the God's family, but to see Christians uh, adopt children, mm-hmm. uh, adopt children from foreign countries, adopt children, uh, you know, maybe multiple multiple race children, uh, is really just uh, an amazing picture of God's love to me. Um, and you know, even. Recently, I've I've seen more and more of, of families that are not just adopting children, but adopting special needs children. And these are the uh, the family. You know, these are the children that are. Uh, I mean, they're they're struggling because of uh, sins of their parents, very simply. And they, you know, maybe crack babies or alcohol uh, babies or or uh, just simply. Uh, children that more and more our society wants to do away with, and yet these families are taking them, giving them their name, giving them life, uh, train, caring for them, training them, and knowing that they, as they do so, uh, many, many times they're, they're looking at a life of, of heartache, a life of struggle, a life of, uh, of uh, just, just pain. And, uh, but yet, yet, but yet they show the love of Christ to them. And it's, it's, uh, just, uh, an amazing testimony to me of God's love, uh, in them and through them as they adopt, uh, children that really have, uh, no hope, uh, in the, in the system of society we have right now. Uh, it is a, it's a powerful picture and you and I have both seen some things here, uh, even recently, just, uh, uh, some of the difficulties that people go through because of choices they've made to love. And uh, if I can kind of tie a, a little bit of a bow on this, uh, it also goes to a, a proper understanding of the doctrine of love, mm-hmm. uh, of loving others. Um, one of the things I keep reminding myself is that individual who may be unlovely in and of themselves, and, uh, well, uh, and by the way, like me, uh, that individual is made, created, by God, God has created them specifically in his image. Mm-hmm. He has created them, and they are image bearers of God. And if only for that reason, they are worthy of love. Exactly. And they're, they're image, created in God's image and, and died for, Christ died for them as he died for me. And that, that gives them worth, that gives them value, uh, whether or not they ever commit to Christ. They, they, have, they have worth because... Christ loved them so much he gave his life for them. And the indication I would say in John chapter 13 is that even though I may not be called on to die for anybody, even my wife or my children, whom I want to think I would gladly die for, uh, every image bearer of God is worth dying for. Jesus proved that. Yes, yes. Great. Tom, hey, thanks for being with us. We're running out of time here. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your wisdom and your study. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been fun.
you'll be back, right? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> uh, we've been digging deeper today with Tom Carr, and we invite you to share your questions and comments with us. You can do that each week by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. And you can join us next time as well as we'll continue our study of God's Word here in First Peter. Until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.